That's a long time to just stand in front of people and not do anything. <laughs> Woo! All right. You want to feel vulnerable, guess what? <laughs> um, this story is weird. When uh, a woman comes up to Jesus and asks for help and he just refuses. And there are a few things happening here that um, help explain but then also make it more confusing. So uh, we're told he's in uh, the region of Tyre and Sidon. So we're in Gentile territory, uh, which means as a Jewish man, Jesus himself doesn't have a lot of authority. He doesn't have a place in the culture or anything like that. He's the outsider. Uh, And I think that's really important here uh, because... There's sort of like this train, I don't know, train of thought, this, it's sort of in vogue right now amongst the uh, self-proclaimed experts of the Bible on the internet who post semi-anonymously, um, because they, they like to point out that Jesus here, because this woman is Canaanite and not uh, Jewish, that Jesus is actually being racist. Um. And he's using his position as a male in that culture uh, to exert a certain amount of power and abuse that power. I kid you not. This is, the internet's a a weird place. Stay away from it. Um, And so I'm going to pull that apart a little bit. And I'm going to do it for two reasons. One, because I think it's going to actually demonstrate something that's really important about, um, about this interaction that Jesus has. Uh, but also because as, 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 my, as I've kind of gotten deeper into my career, I think one of the things that I feel very strongly is about is that I want to help people learn to read the Bible. And I will do that whenever I can. Don't tell my preaching professors from seminary because that's not what I'm supposed to do, apparently, allegedly. Um, that's why I got a C in my first uh, sermon, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> it was like 16 years ago, but I, uh, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, um, so if Jesus is in Gentile territory, that, that immediately takes away the argument that Jesus is operating as a, as a Jewish male from a place of authority, because the Gentiles do not care. Um, and in fact, the Gentile, or, uh, Gentiles or general Greco-Roman people would have looked at Jewish people with at least a mild curiosity, but also certain levels of contempt. Kind of depends on who you were. Um, they were the people that, that constantly were picking fights with whoever happened to be in power, for example. They were the ones that had these difficult rules to abide by that made them separate from everybody else. So they were not universally loved, shall we say. So for whatever reason, Jesus is in this territory. And there's a woman here who... Um, her daughter is ill, um, demonized in some way. What that means, what that looks like, we just have no idea. It's not worth speculating about. Um, rumors have made it to Gentile land that this guy 
has some kind of healing ability. Um, If you are a Greco-Roman pagan, that is certainly a category that you would know. They had their own magicians and and healers and and that kind of thing. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going to a doctor because medicine back then typically just made you worse. Um, But magic for them was where it's at. Um, And yet she seems to understand that Jesus is not just that. Because she, a Canaanite woman, refers to Jesus with one of his, we'll use the fancy word, messianic titles. She calls him the son of David. That raises all kinds of other questions. How would she know about that title? That is not a category or title that any Canaanite anything would care about. And the fact that she's even using that title and that she's Canaanite is going to make things a little bit weird because the Canaanites were long the enemies of ancient Israel. They fought constantly. Uh, like violently. So, and it was uh, really under King David, who was the first real king that, in effect, united all the tribes of Israel and established the ancient kingdom of Israel. His predecessor Saul had failed. So you, you've got some just some weirdness going on here. And for whatever reason, Jesus seems bothered by it. Well, not bothered by it. First, he ignores it. And that's almost worse. Um, It's one thing if you are bothering me and I say, leave me alone. It's another thing entirely if I just, nothing you. Ignore you. That's so much more destructive in a relationship. Like, it's not the arguing, it's the silence. That's scary. So, Jesus first responds by doing that, which immediately we're starting to think like this, that doesn't sound like Jesus. What's going on here? And this is where, you know, the internet keyboard warriors kind of start going nuts, I think, Um, because they say he's being misogynistic, he's being racist because she's Canaanite, she's not Jewish. And yet, by this point in the story, Jesus has already made a point to honor the Gentile or non-Jewish people who have understood who he is. And in fact, that's a favorite theme for especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they tell the stories of Jesus, to point out when foreigners, outsiders, women, and so on, who actually understand who Jesus is when the highly educated, very bright religious elite totally miss it. They love to do that. And in fact, by this point in Matthew, Jesus has, has had an encounter with a centurion who needed help. So, centurion... Almost certainly not Jewish. In fact, I think we can say he is certainly not Jewish. Um, He is some kind of like officer, or at least in charge of a whole bunch of people, of the occupation force of the Jewish people, the occupiers, 
on behalf of a hostile foreign empire. And when he asked Jesus for help, Jesus is like, all right, let's go. And the guy actually says, no, 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 I understand how authority works. Just say the word and it's done. And at that point, you could have, I bet, knocked Jesus over with a feather because he says, I have not found anybody in Israel who understands it like this guy. And he is glad to help him. Uh, In Matthew, when Jesus is born, who are the most prominent visitors? Remember, this is Matthew, not Luke. Who are the most prominent people to visit? Wise men, the Magi, astrologers. That's like God's Law 101, don't do astrology. And yet, there they are. And those are just the two big ones. Uh, There are other episodes. So, by this point in the story, Jesus has made it very apparent that he is pro-Gentile. Which then opens the question, why is he ignoring this woman? And she's being very persistent, and his disciples have to get involved going, she's bugging us, (laughs) please. She's making a scene. Send her away. Um... And that's when Jesus calls her a dog. Um, Within ancient Jewish culture, dogs were not pets. I know we have some very prominent dog lovers here. Um, Dogs were a nuisance. They were uh, potentially dangerous. They were not kept as pets. Uh, Gentiles would have a certain Greco area, like within the Greco-Roman world, um, they would have like littler dogs, not like those big mastiffs or anything like that, but they would be considered pets. Um, they would not take it as far as, as, like I remember people in California do, where they have like a nicer setup than I do and have their own stroller and it, that's air-conditioned or something like that. Um, not quite to that level, but they, they like their dogs. And so Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread away from the, and give it to the dogs. Because Jesus had already previously said, I came for the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, what is Jesus saying there? Because it's not like Jesus has only a certain number of miracles in the bag, and when that bag is empty, he's out. It's not like this is going to take a ton of time, and so by doing this, he's going to be late to something else. This is an ancient Middle Eastern culture. Late, the concept of late probably doesn't exist. Why would he say that? Um... If we take into how the story has progressed to this point, we know that Jesus is actually fairly, I I hesitate to use the word because it's a loaded term, but I'm going to use it anyway. Jesus is actually quite progressive in terms of gender and relationship. 
um, especially regarding women, Jesus has taken this radical approach that everybody has a place at the table of God, including filthy pig-eating Gentiles. And yet, he seems to deny this woman. Now, in your mind, when you picture this story playing out, you know, that little movie that runs in the back of your head when you're reading something, unless maybe I'm the only one, but probably not. Uh, it's pretty narcissistic of me to think that anyway. Um, how do you imagine this woman? I don't know about you, but I noticed this week as I was kind of sitting with and meditating on the story that I pictured this woman as somehow old, in poor health, bent over, having a hard time moving around, in, in some shape, way, or form, decrepit. I don't know why. I, I think it's because Jesus interacts with other women and honors them, as it were, uh, be, uh, and these women are, are, are ill, are uh, very elderly, are in just a really rough place, or in really rough shape, let alone just in a rough place. And I think that, that is carried over in my own imagination to this story, because we have no indication, one way or the other, what this woman is like. She actually could be quite powerful. She could be quite wealthy. She could be just ordinary. She could be quite sick, but that would be an odd detail to leave out. So the most that we can assume about this woman is that she is a Gentile woman. Just a generic person. And she's coming to an outsider and asking for help. So maybe she's got a little more power than he does, culturally. And I think we can see a little bit about this woman, that she's, um, she's got gumption. That's a, that's a good word from the 1920s. Um, in a Jewish context, we'd say she's got chutzpah. She's... She's got some strength to her, and she's clever, very clever. Because when Jesus says it's not right to take the bread from the kids and throw it to the dogs, what does she say? Yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. That's funny. That's good. Now, what do we know about Jesus other than everything I've already said? He's a teacher. And he's a rabbi. Rabbis do not typically, at least the ancient ones, I don't know about today, uh, rabbis typically did not teach in a straightforward, maybe linear manner. They were not math teachers. They liked to poke and prod and ask questions. Because by asking questions and poking and prodding, and honestly being kind of obnoxious, you can draw a lot out from people. As I've started 
backup teaching um, the catechism or religion class uh, for uh, seventh and eighth graders. Pray for them. Um, it's, it's really fun when a student, you, you can tell, starts to catch what you're saying, and then now it's time to just lay into them and see what you can get out of them. It's maybe not the most comfortable thing, but boy, it produces really cool results. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is honoring her with his wit. It appeared like Jesus was being aloof and obnoxious. But I promise you that woman walked away from that encounter in a much better place than she was before, and that it has nothing to do with her daughter. He drew out of her a certain, um, a certain confidence that when she approaches Jesus, even if things don't appear like how she has intended, that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's powerful, that he's willing, he is loving, and that he is interested in her growth. And he did all of that just by, by sounding a little bit weird, a little slightly racist, maybe a little misogynistic, but that wasn't Jesus at all. It was a teachable moment. And at that very moment, he, he then honors her. He says, great is your faith. It is done for her what she asks. That's a good story. That's Jesus stepping into somebody and pulling out from them the best of themselves. In the midst of a really tough situation. Does that ever sound familiar to you? Where it seems like all you can see is God being silent, absent, obnoxious, wild and unpredictable, seemingly no interest in where you are or what you're doing or how much it hurts or how tired you are, how sick you are, how scared you are, how anxious you are. And looking back, even though it felt like that in the moment, it felt like Jesus was ignoring you, it felt like he was calling you a dog or something like that, whatever the equivalent is, but instead it turned out that he was just drawing something out of you slowly. He was maybe showing you a little bit more of who who you are in the best sense of the word. He's showing you that when there was a promise made to you when you were baptized, that you were buried with Jesus in his death, you were raised in new life, that that new life growing in you with your sins and your past forgiven, your present, your future forgiven, that that new life means kind of a, 
something new in your own heart, the best of you, the most you, you in the best sense of the word, redeemed, sanctified, made holy, all these other churchy kinds of words that we throw around but are actually quite important. That just like this woman, who as it turns out is quite clever, maybe Jesus does the same for you and me. Uh, C.S. Lewis, kind of a Christian hero from the generation back, uh, famously said that God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts in our pain. That those moments of stretching, those moments of learning to stand up and, and come before God, uh, those moments of, of waiting and learning to be patient on what God may or may not do in our lives, those are the moments that develop us. And they hurt, and they are scary, they can seem very lonely. But just like with this woman, Jesus is maybe drawing just the best out of us after it passes through his death and his resurrection. Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise.